0: Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at EarSports.com, a CBS Sports podcast presentation. I am Mike Casazzo, welcoming in Chris Anderson to preview West Virginia's Thursday night, 7 p.m. FS1 home game against Baylor. Seems like quite a few things are on the line for this one, Chris.
1: Yeah, it could be a big one, I think, with both teams getting a bye week. Lots of chatter, um, you know, in Morgantown with that bye week. Idle hands and all that um, could put the ratchet, the pressure up on on West Virginia to get a win. Uh, Baylor fans, I think, are also not, you know, not at the same level uh, with Dave Aranda and everything as as West Virginia fans are with Neil Brown. But there is some anxiety in Waco. I mean, they're defending Big 12 champions, return a lot of talent. We're expected to be a contender in the conference, and, and they're sitting at 3-2, and two, which is okay. I mean, their two losses are two teams that are ranked in the top 25, and both were close, but um, you know, fans are getting a little antsy uh, for both of these teams to kind of pick it up and show what they are going to be this year. Can we stop there? Yeah.
0: Are people out on Dave Aranda? No, I don't think so. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I I think when you're the Big Twelve defending Big Twelve champion and you make a quarterback change to get rid of your incumbent quarterback who led you to I believe he was nine and two when when he went down mm-hmm. and they went to shaping. And you make that quarterback change and then you come out and you start three and two, you know, and you were ranked were they, where they what were they ranked like top fifteen, top yeah. ten, like to start the year? I don't know if they got as far as top ten because they lost in week two, but Um, They had high expectations, and I don't know if 3-2 and is what what fans were hoping for. Because even, you know, Albany and Texas State, whatever, throw those games out. Uh, You got a loss to BYU. You got a loss to Oklahoma State. And then they didn't barely win against Iowa State. It it says seven-point game, so it's kind of close. But I I believe Baylor was up by 10, 12, 14. uh, You know, two scores, basically, for the most of the second half. So still, like, one and two. In Power 5 games with your one win by just a handful of points against a team that hasn't won a Big 12 conference game yet, so yeah. not great.
0: Uh, preseason, number 10. Okay, so they were 10. Yeah, beat up on Albany. Lost double overtime at BYU. BYU did not have its two, number one receiver, two top receivers in that game. 26-20 double overtime. Um, beats Texas State. 31-24 against Iowa State. And then I believe they were down like 23-3 to against Oklahoma State. They had had 18 straight games. Their opponent had not scored 30 points. That came to an end against Oklahoma State. Um, First four opponents had not had 100 yards rushing. That came to an end against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, pretty good team, obviously. But I think the fear, maybe not fear, concern there would be that they finally found some good opponents, and it, it just didn't click for them. And kind of for the reasons you're talking about, Chris, they really make a bold change by hosting the incumbent quarterback of a Big 12 champion, kind of going to a change for a guy they like, but to do it in April seemed really strange. They bring back a ton of players in the offensive line, not not dominant running the ball but still not bad, and then a lot of their skill and speed position stuff throwing the ball it's been okay, but it has been what they wanted. Full circle now, is West Virginia's defense the great elixir for a team that is, I don't want to say struggling, but is having the time that Baylor has right now?
1: I mean, it sure seems like it. It seems like the, the cure to fix everybody's offense right now. Um, so, I think that's going to be, this is going to be a telling game for both teams. I mean, if if you're... If you're a Baylor and you can't get things going on offense, if Shapin can't get things going in the passing game, that's telling given West Virginia's recent struggles. And if you're West Virginia's defense, if you're facing a Baylor team who, like you said, was down twenty-three to three at Oklahoma State, needed double overtime to get just to get to twenty points against BYU. Um I mean, they got 31 against Iowa State, but I believe a couple of those were not defensive touchdowns, but but short um, short fields because of a couple of turnovers from Iowa State. Then, you know, what what's the rest of the season going to look like for West Virginia? I think we've kind of been saying that already for the Mountaineers and their secondary in particular. But uh, I think this is – do you, you want to say like a fork in the road for both – for, for Baylor's offense and West Virginia's defense moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really good way to put it too because one, uh, Baylor's coaching staff very good. I'm not out on West Virginia's coaching staff. Um, I think there's some hallmarks this year that kind of concern you especially when it comes to like being surprised by what the opponent does and not being able to change or or adapt to whatever. but you know, man, if they can't if they can't organize and clean up in an open week. Then, then you have concerns. So maybe this is like the last thing you cross off before you're out on them. I'm not sure. But I just see like a lot of a lot of strengths on strengths here that will probably be spotlighted. And certainly they're going to tip toward one side, and that team's going to win. But, you know, if not now, when we've said a couple times this year, but this would seem like a pretty – kind of kind of like a referendum on that. Like, you know, the Baylor staff is going to be fine, I think. I don't think there's anybody who has a lot of questions there. Again, West Virginia's problems – Maybe it's some of it's coaching too, but a lot of it's just trying to work with what they have and who they have and specifically what they don't have and who they don't have on defense in the secondary. And if they can make changes, they can cover that up, then maybe that baylor offense doesn't come to life. Conversely, if that baylor offense does come to life, well then you have an issue there too. So um we'll see. Again, seven PM FS one Thursday night game. West Virginia's first midweek Home game since joining uh, in the conference since joining the Big Twelve. They played twice on Thursday this year at Pitt, at Tech. Very different experiences, different opponents too, as we saw last week. When pretty sure the Pitt running back is still running around Blacksburg, right? <laughs> yeah, was that Blacksburg or Pitt? I, I don't even remember actually. Was that Pitt? Running? I don't know, but I
1: just I just remember since it was a bye week, I was uh, with some families and friends at a at a Wister roast and several half dozen or so Virginia tech fans. And I think, uh, pit went up by 15 or something like that. And it was a one point game. And then they went up 15 and I said, well, don't go in there and watch that. And they kind of stepped away for a few minutes. And then I walked back through the living room where the TV was on and tech had closed it back within, I believe two and had the ball. And I said, Oh man, they're coming back and drew all those tech fans back in the living room and then on the next play, their tight end fumbled the ball, got it back, and ended up going in for uh, to seal the game. And so I didn't take joy in that, but I don't think they appreciated me bragging them back in there for that.
0: So, your fault? It is my fault. Okay. Baylor has not won a Morgantown. Last three visits, all 21 or fewer points. I'm not sure that you you necessarily go through the history books and look at what you've done against a team and how our team has performed and say, this is how we're going to play this one if you're West Virginia. But if you're West Virginia, it, it does kind of seem like a game where you'd like to have the home field advantage if, if one does exist in a season like this. But also, you really don't want Baylor to have the ball and to do a whole lot because if they do come alive on offense at your expense, that's a bad thing. And Baylor, again, going to have some weapons to to move the ball and to be kind of scary at times on offense too. However, West Virginia's best trick on offense is keep away number 11 time of possession, 78 snaps a game, a really healthy snap differential, not making a huge impact in, in difference in yards per play for your offense and yards per play allowed for your defense. Cause the defense has been so bad, but Hey, more incentive to keep the ball away from Baylor, man, Chris, it's 2022. And, You've got a Big 12 that does seem wide open with teams going back and forth. Um, I, I watched the TCU-Kansas game. That's 10-10, 13-13. It ends up 31-38 at the end. Offenses get going, and they, they can fly away from you at this year. And if you're not careful, you're going to get left behind, and you have a West Virginia team that just kind of seems like, hey, run the ball, be effective with the pass, convert third downs, use fourth down to your advantage if you can. And right or wrong, that probably does seem like the way they're going to try to play this one here is control the ball, um, use your offensive line, and then just don't get boat raced with on defense.
1: And my response to that is, will they be able to? And at what if you're not? At what point does West Virginia cut anchor on the run game? Um, because West Virginia has been solid as you said, like in in running the ball and keeping time of possession and controlling the clock and controlling kind of more or less the, the flow of the game, but Baylor's run defense is one of the best in the nation, top 20 in the nation, I believe, in yards per game. Um, they have allowed 2.8 yards per carry. Only one team has gone above 3.0, and that was Oklahoma State, and they only got to 3.6 And that was in large part due to the quarterback. Spencer Sanders ran for, I believe, about five yards per carry after sacks, um, or including sacks. So uh, that was a nice day for him. Uh, But is West Virginia's – I think West Virginia's offensive line has been fine this year as far as clearing holes. Um, But with C.J. Donaldson out, is West Virginia going to be able to get chunk yardage plays, get four, five, six, seven yards per run are they going to be able to stay ahead of the chains on offense and if they're not will they cut weight because i think or cut anchor because i feel like there has been such this emphasis from neil brown from this coaching staff on the running game and he even brought it up again and again and again but how they want to run the ball more and i get why like i understand why but at some point and i don't believe it's happened yet but i could see it happening in this game where you are trying so hard to establish the running game that it is to the detriment of your offense as a whole. And I worry about that happening in this game against Baylor because the Bears' run defense is so good. And I'm not sure West Virginia is going to be able to clear holes enough to get
0: that going. can definitely see something where Iowa State, excuse me, Baylor comes out, scores first. Right, open week scripts and things. You kind of picked apart the WVU defense, So, you know what, I like this, I don't like this. Let's do this. Um, that would be nine times that Dave Aranda has opened a game with a touchdown. Kind of puts them in the in the in the driver's seat. You can kind of see the crowd being a little anxious, like oh boy, okay, not great. let's see what happens to the offense. I don't know, a three and out, a six play drive, something like that, where the offense doesn't work because no C.J. Donaldson. And Baylor's good run defense, and all of a sudden it's seven nothing, it's ten nothing, or it's fourteen nothing. And then, you, then speaking of forks in the road, Chris, what do you do? Do You flip it to Daniels and say, "Hey, eighteen, do something." I don't know. That would be kind of a deviation from what they've been. But um, I wrote this in my uh, open week questions and need week seven answers piece, and it was not a slight to Daniels, but to what extent, Chris, do you think he has to go up a level as a as a quarterback here? Numbers are fine. Interceptions, two touchdowns. Kind of hard to fault in for either one of those. But a lot of passes, and they did not want him passing as much as he did last game. I don't know. We can get into the explanation from the Texas game and how they do or don't make sense. But an okay season here. I'm not sure he's here or West Virginia brought him here to okay um, or to be a handoff guy. And again, if not now when This does seem like a time where they could turn a page and say, Hey, let's see what we can do. Can we can we not run into the strength of their defense? Can we throw the ball? Great question on Daniels.
1: And it's something I've been thinking a lot about because um, there was something posted on our message board. I believe it was uh user professor who who posts a lot of stuff on there, a lot of good stuff. And he compared the first five games of Daniels to the first five games of Jared Dagie last year. And he
0: survived.
1: And he's, <laughs> well, I don't know if he survived the onslaught from the message board, but, but the numbers said what the numbers said, that, it was pretty similar. There's one huge difference here is that if you go by and look, and, and again, PFF grades are not the end all be all, but it, it kind of tells a story in general for a game or for a season. And you look at JT Daniels' PFF grades game by game 71, 66, 80, 73, 66. The 65 mark is the above average, um, you know, mark for a a player. If you are above that, then it was considered an above average performance. You go back and you look at Jared Daigie's first five games for West Virginia last year. Again, for five games as a whole, everything was pretty similar, the stats-wise. But then go, go game by game, 49, 79, 40, 68 90 so Dagie seems to be you know it, it's what our eyeball saw saw uh, like again PFF not the end-all be-all but our eyeballs saw this as well Daggy had highs and he had tremendous tremendous lows I mean a 49 a 40 like those are and that's against Maryland and Virginia Tech Those, those are two big games and and his one of those good games was against LiU Long Island University so whatever on that one but It's kind of up and down. And meanwhile, Daniels has kind of been this steady player. But is that what he was brought in for? Which is the question you asked me. Did they bring in JT Daniels, former five-star Georgia and USC quarterback, to be a steady, above-average quarterback? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think they brought him in to be Will Greer, basically. You know, a guy who could be elite. Almost every game that that his his floor was slightly above average while his ceiling was Heisman contender. And right now, it, uh, Daniel's floor has been slightly above average, but also his ceiling is a little bit more than above average. So I think we need to see him take that next leap as well uh, for Daniel. you know, we haven't seen him fall off a cliff, which is great. You you want that consistency in your quarterback. But it'd be nice to see him take that leap and and really do something special.
0: Well, let's get into the matchup here then. We've been talking about the offense for West Virginia against Baylor's defense. Um, I don't know if it's the designs, if it's the teammates, but let's just stick on the West Virginia side here too. Um, does the plan exist? If they're playing horse, does he have this type of a shot in his repertoire? Can he open it up with the players around him, knowing that you're going to be shorthanded, no C.J. Donaldson, I would imagine that by the time you hear this, there's going to be some news about Michael Lachlan. Um, Neil Brown not letting that out of the bag on his news conference Monday, said he'll do it later in the week. Um, I don't think you celebrate <laughs> on delay if there's good news. So, unfortunately, you're starting tight end and a pretty good blocker could be gone. So, um, that's two different strengths in the running game you're no longer going to have, but also in pass protection too. I don't know. But, Chris, um, on the matchup here, West Virginia's, presumed pass offense we'll get to the rush offense but against the baylor defense um, how would that work can that work you're looking at opponents right now completing 61 percent of their passes seven touchdowns three interceptions 6.5 yards per attempt baylor is right in the middle nationally at 60 out of 130 for uh for pass defense but um i don't know they're pretty even defensively they'll have to stop the run control the pass but Probably not a surprise that they're kind of where they are when we're talking about a team that's three and two and kind of looking for a spark. Uh, I don't know this is necessarily a a Baylor thing on their pass defense as much as it is their rush defense. It makes me think that West Virginia perhaps could or should lean in and say, "Hey, this is a chance that we could pry something open here with our pass." Well, and I think
1: and I think West Virginia would love to take the top off here uh, in the passing game. Problem? Baylor doesn't do that or doesn't allow that. Again, you wonder about the opponents. Uh, they've had a couple of easy ones there. Um, Oklahoma State can can unleash it every once in a while, but Spencer Sanders is is what he has been for the last three years. Um, you know, the, the great with the bad. Um, Iowa State, they're okay offensively, not wonderful. So at BYU, same way, uh, without their top two wide receivers, isn't that what you said just mm-hmm. a moment ago? I know they were out with some some key guys there, so they haven't faced the most high-flying explosive offenses in the world through five weeks, but they don't allow the big pass plays. They are top 20 in in opponent passing plays over 20 yards. Uh, it, it continues for top th- you know 30-plus yards and even 40-plus yards. They've only allowed two pass plays of 40-plus yards, only five of 30-plus yards through five games. If you can hold opponents to basically one big play per game, that's great. Like, yeah, you know, you've done your job as a defense. You you are getting the job done. If you want me to put that in perspective with West Virginia, it's not great. Uh, they come down and rank 68th, which I honestly, I am stunned. It's not worse than that uh, as far as 30 plus yard pass plays um, tied for 68th right there. I was certain they were worse than that. Um, in the big pass plays, but West Virginia is not going to be able to take the top off on Baylor's or if they would like to, and Baylor has yet to allow it.
0: Yeah, no, they no. I'm I'm with you, and and the teams they played haven't done it. I get that, but mm-hmm. I wonder how many of those teams have also said we should be able to do it, which makes you think that like the defense is just designed very well. The structure of the defense is kind of interesting. It's like a four-two-five. Um, but it's not like a West Virginia 425 and they man they that five they <laughs> they keep that five back one of those guys rarely ever joins the run and, and does anything around the line of scrimmage so they're able to keep their safeties deep and not let stuff go over top and they pretty much say we're going to be fundamentally sound we're going to stop you for a TFL or a no gain or an incomplete pass and if you can have a 12 a 14 to 16 play drive against us more power to you, but that means fewer possessions and you're going to have to be efficient, and so on and so forth. That sounds familiar, Chris. That sounds like what West Virginia wants to do, and I go back to the Texas game. It's a three-score game at halftime. It's a four-score game by the time they get the ball. They had three possessions in the second half, and by their own doing, I mean, long, deliberate, determined touchdown drives, and again, I don't know if that talks them into something. Like that's the way they have to play, or if they can kind of look at themselves and say, you know, it looks good, but logically it didn't work out for us. And that's that's kind of what fascinates me about this matchup. There's probably a certain way you have to go with the Baylor defense. I'm not sure you want second and ten or third and seven against them. You know, if you're if you're going deep right away or if you run it and then you go deep on second down. I'm not sure you want to do that because you might be out the field quickly. And West Virginia seems like it's content to kind of run the ball to set things up for the run or the pass. I don't know. And that, I just don't know what direction they take, which is going to be fun for me to watch this one here too. Um, their personnel, pretty good on the outside. Um, younger players, older players. You have a redshirt freshman, you have a sophomore, you have two fifth-year seniors. Guys have been around, returning starters. They're okay. I think everybody's going to talk about their front end defense, which we can get into here too. But um, I don't know any matchup there. West Virginia offense, passing game against their defense or secondary. That's had your attention from your research.
1: I right. I do want to talk about that defensive front. I really do. There's something you noted there, uh, and you started on it, and I want to continue it. the The third and longs. Yeah. It, you, it again. I. It's, you. You have to stay ahead of the chains against Baylor. I mean, you have to stay to ahead of the chains against everybody. Of course, that that that's winning football. Like it's, I'm not, you know, breaking any news here. But through five games, Baylor has already forced opposing offenses into third and seven or longer thirty-two times. Incredible. And opponents have only converted six of them. Six. West Virginia, on offense, on the flip side, has gotten into third and seven or longer 20 times through five games. That's okay. That's not bad. It's not great. It's not bad. But they've only converted three of 20 on third and seven or longer. West Virginia's offense. So you have a... A bad third and long offense against a great third and long defense. That's a recipe for disaster for West Virginia if they get behind a chain. So uh, this is this is one of those catch-22s where I'm talking about how I don't know if you can rely on the running game, but if you throw all your weight behind the passing game, you're going to end up in these third and seven or longers, and then you're punting. Like 90% of the time, you are punting in those situations, especially with this matchup. So it, it's Go. I'm very interested in how you're going to scheme into attacking this. Um, if you can't run the ball and you also can't fall behind the chains,
0: that doesn't sound encouraging. <laughs>
1: no, it does not. Hmm. Um, but I like to uh, Let's talk about that defensive front, by the way, because I think that was one of my one of my keys, one of the big things that I'm I'm focused on here on uh, Baylor's defense, West Virginia's offense, because. You know they were four, two, five, and it, it's a four-man front that's different because it's similar, kind of to West Virginia's in that it's three defensive linemen and then this jack, I believe, is what they call it. Whatever you want to, whatever the name, everybody wants to call their own thing. Their their edge rusher, um, and so at times and it shifts left, right, center, whatever you want to do there. So this is a defense that West Virginia will have a nose over Zach Frazier's helmet more often than they've faced so far this year, but not all the time because it shifts left, it shifts right. There's almost always at least four guys with their hand on the line for them. Um, And I'm curious how Zach Frazier can can handle that because I've heard from centers before, from offensive linemen before, that sometimes it's easier because you know exactly where you're going. You're blocking the guy directly in front of you. Uh, You know, you're not having to worry about, do I go left? Do I go right? I got to communicate with my other lineman, Um, you know, when it's a four man front and those two defensive tackles are in the gaps or, but it's also harder because that guy is literally right on top of you and you have to quickly go from snapping the ball to blocking somebody when that guy is, is literally inches away from your face. So it's going to be a tough matchup for Zach Frazier, especially when that guy weighs, Three hundred and sixty pounds.
0: Yeah, he's got an orbit. <laughs> he's large. Siaki Ika. Um, I'm upset, Chris. I, I went in with a lot of questions I wanted to ask about Siaki Ika at the news conference Monday because apparently I'm the only one that watches college football in my own head. Um, turns out a lot of people know how good he is. Um, <laughs> so many people were asking about him, and and what you remark about him is that he's a guy who gets your attention because if you watch it, you just you just notice him because he's huge, but he's also he's making plays. And then you look at his season box score he has 11 tackles three solos and this is like one of the more formidable players in the conference and you're thinking if you just think about big 12 it's quarterback receiver it's it's defensive end or or cornerback who has to stop these passing offenses or these star players on offense and here's a guy that it's not a stat position he doesn't do a lot of stuff where you go oh my gosh him again unless you're watching really closely because you realize he did something for someone else, but like he definitely has everybody's attention. And if you go back to last, I guess two weeks ago, Mike Gundy talked up Siaki Ika. Like, like he was handing the ball to him (laughs) on the, uh, the old Oklahoma state offense. It's like, he's that good. Like he's Barry Sanders or Thurman Thomas or someone like that. Right. And he's talking about this guy. Like he's one of the best players he's ever seen. And he's, he's really, really good at what he does too, for them. Like he's a, I don't know, Chris, system nose guard. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. Like when you're going to. And and again, when I say there's an orbit around him, it's because he's large, but also because like they literally do rotate a lot of the stuff around him where he he'll take on doubles, he'll push the pocket backwards, he'll collapse a gap. And then you notice like the run stops, they have two linebackers with nine run stops this year, which just means that they go in and they win because the play is there. Nine's a pretty healthy number. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a, a defensive back, a safety has eight. And so actually, no, nine nine nine, two linebackers and a safety. And that's that's by and large because they're front wins. So um, I did say that it's a 4-2-5, it's not like West Virginia's, and you said it's a lot like West Virginia's. We're both right here. Um, but West Virginia will bring an extra person to help against the run quite a bit. Baylor doesn't, it doesn't have to, doesn't want to, doesn't need to, because this guy's like as big as two, but he plays like two. So him against Frazier, to me, is going to be fascinating to watch. I wrote about that on Tuesday because we're talking about how good um, Siaki Ike is. I'm confident Baylor is going to say, you know, West Virginia has a very good center. This is going to be a great matchup to watch. But Frazier does a lot of stuff that a center doesn't always do. Um, he gets up to the second level a bunch. He takes on two people where a guard doesn't have to help him. So in some games, he can take on that defensive tackle and a guard slips up to the second level and gets his hands on a linebacker or a safety or whatever, or if they're doing power stuff, you can do that and you can move the guard and not worry about Frazier being exposed because he's so strong and good at what he does. Great balance, all that wrestling background, leverage balance, it's there for him. So when you don't have to commit a second offensive lineman to your blocking, it kind of weaponizes what you do on offense. Your center becomes a weapon. That's going to be neutralized a little bit, maybe a lot, I think, by this game. Um, and, and Ika had his way last year against West Virginia. Two sacks in that game. Um, conversely, Baylor's defense can do a lot of things that maybe conventional defenses don't because Ika's so good. Will that be neutralized by Fraser, who is kind of, a, a I would say, definitely an above-average center? I don't have the center metrics in front of me, but just listening to coaches and, and opponents, they really like him. They think that he's good for what the offense does, and he, he kind of challenges the defense, um, which for them is going to play their game and keep the opposite from playing his game. I think it's a big determining factor here. A key matchup, if you will. You will see
1: that in my three key matchups um, before kickoff on Thursday night.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Edges. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's important. I don't know how much inside zone, how much gap and power stuff you're going to do against Baylor. Um, Baylor's had good edge players in the past, too. Linebackers have swept around. Uh, we know, you know, Tara Bernard, Jalen Petrie, guys like that, they've had that have been good, but I just feel like that West Virginia, if they're going to run it, um, going to probably be outside zone plays, stretch plays, things like that could be a Tony, or excuse me, a Justin Johnson kind of game, but also like that quick stuff outside is going to have to be good too. Um, it's not a tackle game necessarily for me, although Milam and, and whomever the flavor of the day is a right tackle. They're going to have to play good, but perimeter blocking, receivers, quick game stuff, uh, maybe somebody at tight end, I don't know, just seems like they're going to have to stretch this left to right to get some openings you um, see a lot of screens, a lot of bubbles, a lot of swing passes out of the backfield, just to kind of create some space and get some blocking down the edges.
1: Well, and I think that's that's the answer to my question from earlier, is do you cut anchor on the on the running game? No, maybe you just change what the running game is um, and by that, I think a lot of anybody that watches football knows that sometimes you see those quick passes become the running game, those screens, those wide receiver screens, those quick outs, um, it hits to the running backs in the flat, just getting guys in space, and getting them out on the edge and trying to get them to run because you are having a hard time running up the middle. Uh, I know West Virginia wants to run up the middle. I know they want to get, as you noted, Baylor's not going to bring the extra guys into the box. So you're going to have favorable, favorable numbers in the box. You're going to want to run there. But if you can't, then you go and do those things that you just talked about. You try to get the quick passes, the quick screens, everything out on the edge and try to get your guys in space to make moves.
0: Running game. hmm No Johnson. Excuse me, no Donaldson. I'm going to get every running back's name wrong here. But
1: that was, I was like, are you breaking news here?
0: Yes, <laughs> no. no Donaldson. That's, you know, six, seven yards a carry. That's five yards after contact per carry. That's a guy who I think takes advantage of Tony Mathis kind of softening things up, but also creates possibilities for Mathis and Johnson, just a good player, and become a target on third down, become a target in the passing game, not going to play. You would presume they're going to find a way to get three people to carries. Doesn't sound like it. Um, Neil Brown says that they're going to go with Matthews. Jeez. They're going to go with Mathis Johnson, and if they need a third back, they'll bring in Jalen Anderson. Anderson, I had no idea what they had with him except he's a talent, and he looked okay against Towson, but big guy can run, had skills. This is not a plug-and-play situation here, too, but you see teams kind of fumble the offensive game plan when they try to incorporate three running backs. So I'm not saying it's a good thing that Donaldson is out. Certainly it's not, but you don't have to worry about heating up three guys. It's easier to find a hot hand if you only have two. And if you're going to cut in the run game to go to the pass, if you exercise two options, you're going to get to that pass faster than you're exercising three options. Um, again, not a bad thing, not a good thing that isn't playing, but it does seem like they can get by with two and maybe even be effective if they have a good plan and if they're, they're conscious of their strengths and their weaknesses.
1: Yeah, Every every way you just danced around saying that right there. we don't want to go to two, but don't want to do two, but it's not a good thing. Donaldson's out, but that's what the coaches said, too. They're they're right there with you. You guys are lockstep on that one because I think you saw Graham Harrell say it. You saw Neil Brown say it. You know, Neil Brown saying, you know, CJ Donaldson was kind of getting worn down a little bit, but, it, it, you know, it's, they don't want him out, but he'll get refreshed and it'll be better for the future. Uh, Graham Harrell's saying it's hard to get snaps around to three people you know kind of good to get down to two but you don't want Donaldson out and I think all of that's correct they get you're all correct like it, it's it's much easier to kind of focus on two and go with it um, and I wouldn't mind seeing Justin Johnson get some more reps I mean the the he has been very good in <clears throat> the last couple games against Virginia Tech he was great in those kind of stretched zone runs he was very patient found his hole cut up quick um texas i think everybody had a hard time running against texas but he did fine i mean he averaged over four yards per carry that's nothing to be ashamed about so i'm very interested to see what he can do with some more reps tony mathis i think we know what tony mathis is at this point he's a hard runner a very very hard runner um <clears throat> but he and he and johnson to me Seem like very different players. So that's a good one-two punch to kind of rely on um, if you're going to go just with two guys.
0: Look at snaps by position. You kind of figure out who's going to play where. Um, Baylor did not do a whole lot of stuff. They play some corners. The corners have given up some numbers this year too. So uh, watch out for, for, I don't know, I would say that their outside players, Prather and Wheaton could have some success here. AJ McCarty. 15 targets, 10 receptions, two touchdowns this year. Uh, Lorendo Johnson, starting corner, 13 targets, seven receptions, two touchdowns. Teams aren't scared of him. And, again, when you have to throw, you're going to have to be confident and, and try to do some things there. So can't can't run away from it. Got to make it happen. And, and I think you'll see them stick with the run for a little bit as long as the game is close. But I don't know, Chris. I still have the Texas game plan in my head a little bit too where they, they did come out throwing the ball. and. Maybe out of a a concern for whether or not they were going to be able to run the ball against the the defense that Texas presented, threw it a lot. However, the post-game analysis is probably don't want to be passing it 48 times. Um, Probably should have run the ball more. And I don't know. I wonder how much rearview mirror was going on there. They're looking back too much here because I I think there is some value in playing Texas and, and having, again, it's not the same defense, but some sort of a strategical familiarity where, Chris, can you see the experience of having to run against Texas and and game plan for Texas and maybe adjust on the fly? Does that come in handy in this one for all the reasons that we're talking about?
1: It might. I mean, I think they both kind of want to do the same things, so it it could help them out. I, I think the fact that West Virginia, not just with Texas, but they've been battle tested already. Like, Look at the 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 schedule that West Virginia has faced. I mean, I know, you know, Virginia Tech is not what Virginia Tech thinks they are. And, and Pitt is maybe not a top 20 team like they were to begin the year. But on the road at Pitt in a ridiculous environment, on the road at Virginia Tech in a ridiculous environment, on the road at Texas, who. I mean, are we going to find out here like by the end of the year that they're a top 10 team? And then Kansas, who started out five and zero, should be six and zero. That that game against TCU was infuriating. Um, I, I th- it's funny because like I think Kansas fans were just so excited to be in the moment that they didn't realize they should have won that game. Like definitely should have won that game. Um, and West Virginia has had one heck of a schedule, and I think they've been battle tested. And I think the Texas part helps. I think, but I think the whole schedule as a whole will help them get them ready for Baylor.
0: Club it up. Defense, West Virginia offense, Baylor. Um, Stop, maybe you've heard this, but West Virginia will see one of the most experienced offensive lines in the country. We've had different qualifiers for when they played Pitt and Kansas. This one, number two, returning games among the returning starters. Four starters back for Baylor. Um, They were a second in the country in returning games so an experienced group a lot of guys who chose to come back for the second year with uh jeff grimes and the reliable violent offense i don't know if i can get enough of that or not if it makes me roll my eyes but rvo instead of rpo that's the play on words right there too Um, new quarterback top three rushers are gone top three receivers are gone they use two and three tight ends um and they're fast that's the one thing too like I'm not saying they're, like, back the Art Bryles, Corey Coleman, uh, Lake Seastrunk Baylor teams that were just fast, fast. But, like, this team does scoot sometimes, too. When they get the ball in space, they're really good, which is why they do so much outside stuff. They they, they stretch plays outside zone over and over and over because if they can turn the corner and, and find a scene, they can go, especially Reese. He's had some big runs this year. 400 yards, seven touchdowns for the freshman. No freshman in the country has more than his seven touchdowns. Um, and they like to run the ball and and set things set things up to play action. They use their tight ends a bunch too. Um, bearing the lead though, Chris though, because pre snap shifts, pre snap formation, pre snap motion. Um, that's kind of like jab, cross, left hook to the West Virginia defense so far this season.
1: It it we'll talk about the the taking the top off the defense. It's what Baylor wants to do. It's the, one of the biggest reasons um, they switched to shape in a quarterback. But this whole misdirection, uh, I know you talk about pre-snap. I'm also considering post-snap as well because I'm looking at it, and I watched some of their game against Iowa State. I watched some of their game against Oklahoma State. And I would like to set the line at over-under – Two and a half key first downs and/or touchdowns that Baylor gets off of bootlegs, because yeah. they, whenever they get into third and short, fourth and short, you know, uh, second and goal from like the four yard line, five yard line, that kind of thing, they love to go essentially student body right, power right, bootleg roll out to the left or vice versa. I don't think there's a, a, a tendency right or left here, but just opposite of where 10 other players are going, quarterback rolls out, there's a tight end or an H-back or whatever that's just kind of floated out to the side and he's wide open. And that's that's a problem because West Virginia's discipline, especially on that second and third level, has not been great. They, they lose their eyes. Yeah, what I'm saying is they they follow the ball when maybe they should be following their guy or staying in their zone and you can just see it happening. I, I see it happening at least two or three times. And, and West Virginia has to be able to, to kind of retrain themselves on those second and third levels to not just follow the flow and make sure someone's not leaking out behind them because Baylor loves to do that. And they found a lot of success with that in their win over Iowa State. And they did it a few times against Oklahoma State as well.
0: The bootlegs and the nakeds nakeds, as I heard. Mm-hmm. So fun to watch because it just moves the pocket and it gets the defense shifting. And like then you're just creating leverage and angles and they flip so much stuff to the tight ends and and uh, just let him do short things the long things and, and you could run off of it too. It it's it puts your edge in conflict because he's like running downhill at you. And then you kind of get like, getting like a whole bunch of like scramble drill mentality, stuff like that. Like, what do you do? Because if he runs at you. You kind of have to respect it. And you want to go get him, but then you're abandoning a, a tight end or a running back or a receiver or something like that. If your safety you can't come up too much, but it really does stress you and disciplines. you. they they go left, they go right, they do it the goal line, they do it short yardage, they do it middle of the field between the twenties. It it just keeps out balance too. So uh, I'm gonna take the over on that one. Is that okay? I uh, I think it's a smart play. He's tough. He's uh he's mobile. I don't know if he runs as often or as well. Um, as Bahannon, but he had a 35 yard touchdown running against Texas State. Um, and he's done some good things too, where he's he just moves around and it can keep plays alive a little bit, looking to throw, but he can run it. He's good with that. Um, speedy receivers, though. Monterey Baldwin. If you watched Texas attack West Virginia vertically, if you're Monterey Baldwin, you ran 22.8 miles an hour. <laughs> as as recorded on Twitter by the, the social media people at Baylor on a 75-yard touchdown run, or excuse me, pass against Oklahoma State. Um, kind of a medium-range pass and catch, but just ran away from everybody there too. I don't know if it matters who the cornerback is. If you're running 22.8 miles an hour, you're going to run past cornerbacks. Um,
1: yeah, can we put that in perspective real quick? Because I think this this occurred – during one of the West Virginia recruiting camps this summer where there was a recruit who was running a 40, a 40 yard dash. And they put those special, um, I call them the bras Mm -hmm. on them. That, that tracks their time. It's literally a GPS tracker that will tell you the, how fast they were running their top speeds, all that stuff. And there was a recruit that that topped out at 21 and a half miles an hour. And and all the coaches were impressed with that. And, And I asked somebody, how does that compare? What is, what does that mean? Who, you know, what's fast. And they told me that basically the fastest players on the team run in the 22s. And I believe, I believe I didn't get this clarified. I believe that's without pads. So if this guy is running 22 something with pads in a game, that's scary.
0: On 75 yards too. Yeah. He's, he's opening up and stretching it out and keeping going and, um, I don't know, It's just good. Watch out for the tight end. Sims is good. Leads the team in receptions. And, again, he's safety blanket, uh, security blanket, safety net for a lot of the stuff where it does bootleg. It does get outside. He checks down a bunch. They they will aim deep and come back to the play. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, they're going to try to take their shots. And if it's there, they know someone else is going to be open, and it'll make it work. It, it's just good. Um, running game, passing game, it, it can work. It can be good. If it's humming, and that's the thing about West Virginia's defense, can it get stops, can it get out the field? Can it get you in positions where they're kind of dictating to you? Um, how do they go about that, Chris? Because something else I read about, too, there there are some indications that they're trying to cook up some pressure. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but just in a small number of pressures, small number, uh, you have guys like Jasir Cox and Davis Mallinger who've gotten sacks. We talked about – probably not going to happen, but an idea. Hey, maybe – Maybe Lee Koba's a bandit. Well, maybe still the mic, but he is rushing the passer a lot more. He's been one of the more productive pass rushers on few attempts. Can they create some sort of chaos, havoc as you like to call it, against a really good offensive line and with the fear of some fast skill position players getting past their defensive backs? Or they just kind of have to ratchet up what they've been doing and not be as forgiving, not be as problematic in the back end of their defense.
1: I think they have to. As you noted, Koba, uh, I believe, you know, rushed more in the Texas game than we'd seen him rush all year. You saw Jasir Cox get back there. I think they're sampling other players to try to get pressure on the quarterback, and that could be key with with Shapin because, first, they want to go deep, and we'll talk more about their deep passing and their preference for it and how it affects their offense and and their success but looking at the pressure shaping when kept clean 91.2 grade 77% completion rate when he's under pressure 53.0 grade with a 41% completion rate um and sometimes that can be a little misleading because it's it's pressure without blitzing you know that that's the ideal scenario if you're if you're a defensive coach oh i'd love to get pressure without blitzing because obviously then you have more guys back in coverage um that's not always possible and and with west virginia it might not be possible because baylor does have a decent offensive line so i think you might have to bring pressure with with more than just your three or four you might have to bring a fifth or even a sixth if you want to get crazy and if you do it's still going to cause problems for shaping because even with the extra defenders rushing him, blitzing him, meaning fewer defenders in coverage, and that's when you make those hot reads, those quick throws, he still struggles more with that. Um, his grade drops from an 88 down to a 69. So it's not as pronounced when the blitzes are coming. Of course, again, you'd love to get pressure without blitzing, but putting him, putting the pressure on him, whichever way you want to do it, is going to dramatically lower his success rate and the offensive success rate as a whole.
0: Let's get to the pass, but just kind of sew up their running game here, too. They stretch. They got the outside zone. They have famously committed to that. Um, if you look at the the run charts on pro football focus, it absolutely fills in the blanks for you. Uh, 29 runs outside the left end, which means they have a tight end in and they go outside the tight end. Uh, 15 go outside the left tackle. Right side, six outside the right tackle but 40 outside the right tight end. Um, now, granted, when you're stretching plays like that, you will see alleys and you will cut it up before you get outside. That's part of the beauty of the stretch play is that you are literally stretching out the defense and you're keeping your eyes on the gaps. And when you put tight ends in, and they'll have two on the same side sometimes, they'll have one on the side and one in the backfield, you're adding extra hats, which means you're adding extra alleys. So you're going to have to be good in the run game. I wonder if we see some even front stuff or some three-linebacker stuff in this game from West Virginia because it can help you – Contest some of those alleys a little bit. Um in fact I'm pretty sure that Baylor was one of the teams we saw the even front against last year because of the way that they played and the way that they attack defense. So could be there. But also it's just a big game for Koba, um, Cox, Lowe, whoever's playing linebacker, to to see space and go fill it because you, you gotta fill alleys. They're gonna create them, you gotta fill them. Um passing though, Chris, you wanna get to this. Probably a really important matchup here, I think, just because Again, the speed and this the the natural concerns you have about West Virginia's defense and, and how it's going to look. Um, this seems like a game where the corners, the slot guys, they're going to be stressed and stretched too. It, it's Baldwin. It's it's a bevy of guys who can run, and and Shapen will take shots down there too, especially off of play action. Um, how much of a concern is this for you going in and how much th- this seems like it seems like Baylor receiver against West Virginia defensive back is, is similar to Siaki Ika against Zach Frazier. Yeah, this is, this beat, is such an important matchup.
1: This is, this is what Baylor wants to do. Again, every bit of information. I mean, they've just flat out said it really down in Waco that part of the reason they moved to Shapin a quarterback, why they, uh, you know, put him in the in the driver's seat ahead of Bohannon, even though Bohannon led them to a nine and two start, and uh, you know, put them on the precipice of a a Big 12 championship, and then Shapen took them the rest of the way. Um, was because they felt Shapen could help improve their vertical passing game. They want to get downfield, and there was only one game where this offense has struggled. I mean, they were they were they struggled in the first half against Oklahoma State, and I'll look into the. Um, the splits on that of what happened in the first half versus the second half. But in that BYU game where they needed two overtimes just to get to 20 points, they only attempted one pass over 20 yards. One. Um, fell incomplete. That was it. No, zero vertical deep passing yards in that game. Only 41 yards on pass attempts that went over 10 yards in that game. Um, even in their loss against, um, Oklahoma state, 219 yards on passes that were over 10 yards in the air. Um, you look at their other games, um, two for two for 85 yards, three for five for 114 yards, touchdown, touchdown, two touchdowns. Um, going back to which one is this Iowa state? Uh, they hit that 10 to 20 yard through the air mark a lot, 117 yards, touchdown. They want to get vertical. And if you let them get behind you, if you let them get a straight, clear run, it's going to be a problem. And, and and I think once they get that going, that, again, we already know that you know, one big play can really change the momentum of a game. But you brought this up earlier, that the threat, even just the threat, if you can find success on that one time, it it, it creates this threat of it happening the rest of the game, which... I can't remember how you phrase it. You, you can fill it in here in a second, but you, you try it. You look deep, but then come back underneath because it opens things up, and that's where you hit those tight ends. You, you look for for Baldwin to go 40 yards down the field. Up, they got that safety helping over the top, got him double-covered. Up, back into the
0: tight end who's standing wide open in the middle of the field. Shapin's um, average time to throw is 2.97 seconds that is a long time
1: yeah it's pretty good
0: um they do not throw screens 10 screen passes in five games he's not a 10 uh play action though 32 out of 48 the average depth of target is 11.1 yards down the field which means he's got his eyes down there they're trying to it It, it, sometimes it's quick stuff where they bootleg it and they throw it because it's not there but they will go deep on that stuff too um that's that's a big number there too so Seven touchdowns, one interception, nine point one yards per ten. They play action a lot, which means that they're again they're running it, and they're setting it up, they're trying to do it, and and they dress it up. They make things that they, they're they're going to hit you with formations and all that stuff because they're they're trying to get a jailbreak in that secondary. If not, they'll come back to it. They're they're kind of they're built in a fun way on offense to to make it work. And um, let's just get to the corners very quickly, Chris. Like seven names we heard as possibilities. Only two can play at a time, and maybe three or four will get in the game, but. Do you make anything of Jalen Shelton whispers, or is that just the the I don't know the outcome of a guy got to practice a bunch? Is this going to be a Jai and McCormick with doses of I don't know spells Ben Wahad Andrew Wilson Lamb? Do you foresee some sort of a shakeup there because they're going to have to be fast and run, and and you haven't seen that of a Jai and McCormick so far.
1: I'm I'm trying to hone my Neil Brown talking points skills. Because he kind of threw he threw it both ways during his press conference on Monday, um, bringing up Shelton, talking about Shelton, talking about how well he played in those scrimmages, and talking about the only reason he hasn't played yet is because he's been injured. And now he's healthy." And then immediately followed up that those comments with, I believe the exact quote was, "The pieces are the pieces," which means, it's going to be the same secondary that's been out there that, you know, there's not going to be guys coming up from scout team to take over a role, at corner or safety. So in my mind, I think I, I think that comment, the pieces are the pieces, trumps any positive set about Shelton and tells me that Shelton's role in this game will likely be minimal.
0: I'd be shocked if we saw him. Right. Unless the house is on fire and he's got to run in and get the kitten. Like, I, I just don't see that happening. I'd be very surprised. Any other X factors, matchups, dynamics we haven't covered you want to hit yet, Chris?
1: No, I think that's it because I think, again, defensively, and I, I know, I'm guessing, West Virginia would or the coaching staff would love for a game to be 21-14, 24-17, something like that. I just don't think, given what we've seen from West Virginia's defense, that West Virginia is going to win a game like that. And I think... The wins from here on out, if there are any, are going to be thirty-five twenty-four, forty-two-thirty-one, stuff like that. So my focus here is on West Virginia's offense and what they can and cannot do against Baylor, even though the biggest issues have been on defense.
0: I love to say this and it's it's so cliche but so true. But there comes a point in every year where you are who you are. Yeah. And and sometimes you're fortunate that an open week falls in a spot where you, you get a chance to take a breath and say okay and the analogy I use is like everybody has that junk drawer in their kitchen and it's there and and you don't want to deal with it but sometimes you just got to empty it out and find out what's in there and you, you're like I don't need this throw this away oh I forgot I had that oh I like that and you use stuff that you forgot you had and you get rid of stuff you don't need and what's in the drawer is what fits and, and is what functional and what's what what matters to you and they're going to have to put the drawer back in and and see see if they clean out the right stuff and see if they remember what they liked and remember what they had and if they threw away the stuff they no longer needed because it wasn't useful or you know it had value it had a purpose at once but it doesn't now you know it's a, it's a pen without ink it's a bent up paper clip it's crumpled up post-it notes right um but there's stuff in there you need and there's stuff in there that you forgot you were good at or you forgot you had and Sometimes it comes along in a good spot, and this seems like an ideal spot for West Virginia. Unfortunately for West Virginia, Baylor also had the same time off. And then West Virginia goes across the country, uh, longest road trip in the Big 12 to Texas Tech, which is off this week. So that's not great, but it doesn't matter. You have to win this one here. Again, Baylor has not won in Morgantown, hasn't topped 21 points so, in the past three visits. So this is not necessarily the, uh, the track meet of 2012 that anybody's expecting, but I think you're right. You're going to have to find points. I think points are going to be really hard to come by. Haven't even talked about this. These two teams love to go for it on fourth down. Um, I think – I actually think that Baylor had two interceptions on fourth down against Oklahoma State. Uh, Yeah. And one of the more aggressive fourth down teams, that's also West Virginia's forte too. So I think you're going to see probably a low number of possessions and yardage, but also a premium on those possessions and and how to get points out of stuff. So I'm not sure how bold these offenses are going to be. They might look for shots and take their shots, but they might try to build a wall – Um, one run, one possession at a time, and see if they can get something that the other team can't overcome. So uh, this is going to be an odd one for aesthetics, but it it might end up being enjoyable as well, too. We'll finish up, Chris. Um, We'll talk, uh, jeez, (laughs) midnight-ish Thursday night. Uh, This probably is going to be a long game, I'm guessing, too. Who, what are we talking about that explains what we have witnessed in, again, 7 p.m. FS1 game in Mountaineer Field. I worry I'm getting repetitive here talking
1: like, cause I feel like most of the conversations are going to come down to the quarterback the secondary and yeah, I think, you know, as far as the secondary goes, that's big. I keep talking about the, the deep passes for Baylor, but I'm coming back to, to, to Daniels, to JT Daniels, because one, I don't think West Virginia is going to be able to run the ball. I think this is going to be one of those games where Daniels is going to be throwing 40 plus times and West Virginia is going to need him to, to be bigger, you know, kind of live up to the hype. Um, the, The stats I noted earlier about his grades, kind of above average, above average, above average. I think he needs to be elite in this one. This is one where he is going to have to carry this team on his shoulders and get 40 points in this one to try to win it. And I think we're going to be talking about JT Daniels if he's able to do that.
0: I like it. Stole, it. I should have gone first. So while you're sitting there talking and laying out a very good response, I was thinking in my head, I'm going to come down to decisions on this one here. And I don't know if it's decisions that were made in the open week, if it's decisions that were made during the game. is a fourth down decisions. I just think decisions, and this could be a coaching game here too. we talked a lot about matchups and players and personnel, but when you have a, a, an open week, and you have teams that are kind of at that intersection of where they are and where they want to be and where they might be headed, you kind of have to – you really have to trust that you're what, you're, what you've are what come up with is the right way, and it's either going to go uphill or downhill at this point. So watch out for that stuff there too. Again, the fourth downs are interesting. Um, you know, Baylor Baylor wins by, yeah, seven against Iowa State, but had a big lead in the fourth quarter because they had a flea flicker and just caught Iowa State looking, and that got them a, a pretty big cushion that they ended up needing – and i wonder when a team can kind of like go for the throat here i guess and and try to make something happen i don't know what it'll be is it a fake an onside kick a trick play a fourth down conversion i just think that there's going to be moments and decisions that fall to coaches and then by extension players that that's going to come out in this one here because truth be told i don't see major differences here i think that that it, it probably could be close and low scoring all the reasons that you talked about i think there could be struggles for west virginia but i just i haven't seen the baylor offense go up and down and kind of lap defenses this year and Again, maybe West Virginia's defense is like the elixir for that, but we'll see. Um, West Virginia hasn't forced a red zone field goal attempt this year, too. So, uh, again, that could be a decision. Fourth and one at the 17-yard line, do you kick a field goal or do you go for it? Things like that. So it could be a small margin that ends up being a big difference. I look for decisions and, and moments and, again, kind of kind of reaching out and kind of trying to squeeze an neck of the other team here and trying to make something happen when, you, when you, have a, you really have motivation to do it here because both teams need it right now. Are you okay? I am okay. Sound like you fell. <laughs> Analysis, too good. Knocked you off your feet. Yeah. Uh, preview, rest of the week for us, Chris. What do you have coming? When can we find it?
1: Uh, we're going to have three keys. We'll have uh fresh set. We've got recruiting updates. Um, quick weeks, so things are going to be coming up in, in, in faster than usual. Uh, a lot of stuff on the YouTube page. Uh, interviews with players, coaches. Um, ears in the NFL update. Uh it, Pretty good year. I I think, you know, some people were disappointed that the numbers were down as far as number of West Virginia players that were in the NFL or on active rosters after cut day, but make it some big impact. I mean, Geno Smith looks like 2012 Geno Smith Um, David long with the game winning interception after, which kind of overshadowed the fact that he had 11 tackles leading the team Um, and kind of moving on down the line. David Sills still starting in New York, Mark, uh, Glowinski starting in New York, uh, up and down the line, making an impact.
0: By the numbers, fresh set, some written stories about the the game Thursday night. Got some videos coming. Uh, again, short week, action-packed week. Finish it up Thursday night. Game coverage, podcast to follow. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza,
1: And I'm Chris Anderson.
0: Talk to you then.